0: While they're handing out the listening sheets, let me say that uh, the answers to them won't be projected on the screen. And I probably won't give you the answers either. (laughs) (laughs) So you're pretty much on your own. You can make. Paper airplanes out of them if you want to. (laughs) You're accustomed to excellent expository sermons from your pastor Sunday after Sunday. Today I'm going to use a topical sermon. The difference is, as I see it, the starting point. With an expository sermon, you start with a passage of Scripture. You tease out the meaning through a process known as... Oh, I hope this doesn't happen to me much. (laughs) But but I get those senior moments, you know. But... (laughs) But at any rate, you bring out the meaning of the Scripture. Then you illuminate it with illustrations or whatever type of explanation that you can use. And then you apply it to our lives. Now in a topical sermon, you start with a topic. And you substantiate it With scripture and the approach after that is pretty much the same but I want you to know I'm starting with a topic today and that topic is loving the church for a long time I've wanted to share with this congregation how God has shed his grace on my life and how much... (laughs) I love and appreciate you. I wanted to give a testimony Pastor Nick asked me to preach, so I thought I'll try to combine the two, making the testimony my introduction. But you know a problem with being asked a month ahead (laughs) to preach? (laughs) There's no way. God's earth that you can put everything that you want to put in in the time allotted. So, I'm going to have to breeze through some of this. But my text is to be found in, in uh, Ephesians 5.25, where it says, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself for it. Now he's, of course talking about marriage, and his instructions are to husbands, but he illustrates it, well, how husbands are to love their wives by the kind of love that he has for his church. Now, it seems reasonable to me that if Christ loves His church that much, we ought to love it too. And I want to tell you that I do. For 86 years, I've had an involvement in church. Actually, it's 87 if you count the fact that my mother took me to church the Sunday after I was conceived. (laughs) My folks, my family, was a God-fearing family. very devout Christian home. I had five sisters, no brothers. And I lived on a farm a subsist- subsistence farm in Missouri until the age 12. And uh, our life was home and church for the most part. You've heard about you went to church every time the doors were opened. Well, my dad opened the doors. <laughs> he closed the doors. He lit the gas lanterns that were hanging from the ceiling. He built a fire in a pot-bellied stove. So that's the kind of involvement that I've had. But my love affair with the church really started when our farm was sold and we had to move. And we moved to California because we had relatives in Santa Paula, and because there were jobs out there. And I remember the Friday afternoon as we drove into town up 10th Street in Santa Paula. We passed this little church building with a sign out front saying, Baptist Church. And my dad said, we're going to go to church there on Sunday. And we did. And for the rest of their lives, until they died in old age, my mom and dad went to that church. My sister, who is 84, has been a member of that church for 74 years my younger sister. Uh, Go back to the building with uh, the old brick building. (coughs) The events that took place in that brick building there were life-changing for me. My pastor, at that time, uh, said that uh, that building had been the place where the Union Oil Company of California started. I wanted to be sure of my facts before I shared this with you today, so I asked Siri, Siri said, no, you're wrong. It was in that building two blocks down the street that is now an oil industry museum. And I said, Siri, sweetheart, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you're wrong. I said, my pastor told me that it started in that brick building. And, you know, preachers never lie. (laughs) In any case, it is a historic building. And that oil company was started in 1890. So it was pretty old when the church bought it. The church was started in 1941. And they bought that building. And the congregation rapidly outgrew it. So a big tent was put up on the vacant lot next to it. And for quite a while, we met in the tent. And then it was replaced. You can put that newer building up. It was replaced by this building. And again, it wasn't long before it was filled to capacity. Our church was a very evangelistic church. And out of that congregation in the three-year period came eight preachers. Um, I was the first of the eight. Among those eight was my brother-in-law who had been saved when he was fighting the Germans in North Africa and was baptized in the Mediterranean Sea. And he came home to Upper Ohio and then he joined our church. And uh, that's where he met my sister and married her. In any case, in that building, a lot of important things happened to me. One of them was that I got married to Louise in that building. Also, when I was in the army for a couple of years, overseas, and my wife was living with my parents, she was the secretary of the church. And so I've always regarded it as my home church. The reason that it is so significant in my life has to do with my nature. I want you to know, by nature, I am very much introverted. I am very much a quiet, timid, backward person. When I lived in Missouri, my world had about a mile radius out from our house. And I didn't get out of that world very much. I explored every inch of that world with my dog boots. My school was a one-room schoolhouse that had a faculty an enrollment with a number that was the same as Pastor Nick's children. <laughs> there were five pupils. My younger sister and I were two of those pupils, and the teacher was my oldest sister. So it was like homeschooling. Well, from that kind of school, I came to school in Santa Paula in September of 1944. Put up the picture. I want uh, the boy in the overalls. That was a, that's a portrait of shame, because I came to this school in those overalls, and they were bibbed overalls as you can see. I got to the school and all of the guys wore t-shirts, white t-shirts, Levi's with the cuffs, the pants rolled up about six inches. And I looked around, and I was the only one in that entire school of about 800 in overalls. And I was absolutely mortified. And during the class, I couldn't concentrate on what the teacher was saying. I couldn't think about anything but the fact that I was in those overalls. And I felt like everybody in the class was staring at me. Not only that, but I noticed that there was this kid that was staring at me most of the day. And it got very uncomfortable for me. And so I finally said to the kid, why are you staring at me? He said, I have never seen such pale eyes in my life. And I thought, oh, Lord, I'm, <laughs> I'm also a freak. <laughs> <laughs> and all of these guys talked so fast, I could hardly understand them. And uh, I talked with this slow drawl with a lot of Missouri idioms. And I felt so embarrassed that I wouldn't speak. You know, I just—I was so afraid that if I said anything, I'd say something stupid. Well, I have to tell you, I never got over that. <laughs> I'm still afraid of that. <laughs> but at any rate, I—I uh, I went through that day with the awfulest embarrassment shame and really had a rough day but at church it was different i always felt like somebody on the outside looking in when i was at school for one thing i was a year younger than my classmates because i Started first grade at age five. And I was really small, too. So that was intimidating to me. But I felt so out of place, never quite fit in at school. But at church, I was somebody. At church, I was loved. I was taught. I was trained. I was nurtured. And they made me feel important. And so my comfort zone was either my home or church. And I loved being at church. And you know when I hear somebody say, I don't go to church because I was made to go to church when I was a kid. That doesn't compute with me at all. It's, it makes as much sense to me as somebody saying, maybe he's 50 years old, saying, I don't brush my teeth because my mother made me brush my teeth when I was a kid. <laughs> I didn't have to be made to go to church. The church was my happy place. It was in that brick building that I gave my heart to Christ, asked Him to be the Lord of my life. And it was in that church shortly after I was saved that I was called to preach. And I remember that day that I burst into my pastor's office. And I said, "And I, you know, I was full of emotion. I said, I believe God is calling me to preach. He put his arm around me. He said, Charles, we already knew that. <laughs> and so they really nurtured me and helped me get the start that I needed. And gradually, I overcame some of the fears, the insecurities I had, but most of them I carried through my life. I, I uh, did get over some of my insecurities when I got to college. I felt like I was coming into my own there. For one thing, oh yeah, they've got the picture up there of my baptism uh, at Sespe Creek. Before we got the new building, which had a built in baptistry, our baptisms took place in Sespe Creek, which is about a mile north of Fillmore. The creek came out of the canyon where they captured the last few California condors for breeding, bringing them back. At any rate, there's a beautiful sight there. Uh, but the church nurtured me, and they made me talk, which was difficult, really difficult. And I remember that my pastor would periodically Say, Charles, I'm going to give you 10 minutes of my sermon time and I want you to preach. And I was like 14 or 15. And uh, what does a kid like that know? So I had a secret. Out in the foyer, there was a, a rack with Christian tracks on it. And when nobody was looking, you know, I would take one of those tracks. And I would memorize it, and then I'd get up and preach that, you know. (laughs) And I really had the congregation fooled. (laughs) Because after the service, and the pastor would have me stand with him out by the door, people would come by and say, Charles, that was such a wonderful sermon. I could have told them, if you want a copy of it, just reach back. (laughs) But that's the way that church treated me. And actually, I see this church treating its young people that way, nurturing them. Now, what it was called back then was calling out the called, those whom God had called and were uh, confirmed by the church they would seek to encourage them and help them along the way. But my difficulty in in feeling comfortable around people and being able to talk, I guess uh, never did really get, get corrected because... I remember a couple of weeks after we were married, Louise and I were sitting there, and uh, I had lapsed into my uh, default setting, you know, which is silence. And I was sitting there staring off into space, just daydreaming. When I got the feeling that Louise was gazing at me, she was staring at me, And after a while, I turned to her and I said, what? (laughs) She said, I want to know what's going on in your head. It's scaring me. (laughs) (laughs) That resorting to silence has been a characteristic all through my life. But it is my natural setting. Now, there is an ironic twist to this uh, story about the overalls. In 1974, when I took my daughter to California Baptist College, at Christmas time, she came home for the holidays, and she was wearing Farmer, country, overalls. And I said, Cheryl, haven't you any shame? <laughs> she said, Dad, all the girls at the school are wearing these. <laughs> I said, you got to be kidding. <laughs> I said, what, are the, what is that school doing to my daughter? <laughs> and then I quoted Scripture to her. Be not conformed to this world. <laughs> but I love the church. In my thinking and in my emotions, it's inseparable from my family as the most cherished relationship on earth. Now my love for the church, of course, stems from this lifelong relationship with it. But I want you to know that I don't look at it through rose-colored glasses. I know how much the church fails and uh, how imperfect it is. But the thing about the church, it's made up of imperfect people who recognize their imperfection who recognize their sin, they've asked God for forgiveness of their sins. And they're trying to conform to His image, become like Him. And in the process, they're at different stages of development. And so we do have problems because we're not perfect yet. And will not be till we get to heaven. Now, I love God. I love God and I love his church. I love his church because of whose it is. It is Christ's church. As you read in Matthew 16 when Jesus had asked his disciples, "Who do you say that I am?" And Peter made that bold declaration, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. It's upon the rock of Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ that his church is built. And the church is Christ's because he founded it first of all. He founded it. He nourished it. He taught and trained His disciples and prepared them for building that church. And so, first of all, I love the church because of whose it is. But there's another reason Christ loves His church. And that is, Christ, it belongs to Christ rather because He loves the church. If you invite me to your home, you might say, will you come to my home for dinner or whatever? When you say my home, you're not thinking about a deed of trust at the county courthouse. You're thinking about the love that resides in your home. About the love that draws you together. And Christ can say that it is His church because He loves it. He loves it so much that He gave Himself for it. You might say concerning your child, I remember my dad not or very seldom saying I love you to me. I don't, I don't think he ever expressed himself that way. But I never had any doubt about my dad's love. He always wanted me with him. And when he introduced me to his friends, he would say, I want you to meet my, my son, Charles And I could hear the pride in his voice as he said that. Do you know what the best advertisement for your church is? It's not something that you buy in the newspapers or the TV. It's the church members out in the community, on the job or wherever, with a love in their heart for Christ and for their church. And they can't help but showing that love in the way that they behave and in the things that they say. So you can also say, it is my church. You can say it on the basis of the love that you have for your church. Now, the second reason I love the church is because of the word that she shares. That's the word of the Gospel. The word Gospel means good news. I believe that Christ is the final and complete revelation of God. He is a living Word. But we learn about Him from the written Word. And that written Word is the inerrant, infallible, reliable Word of God. The written Word. Now just to say that it's Inherent isn't enough because that does not make it the Word of God. There are many documents that are supposed to be without error. But what makes it the Word of God is that it is the God breathed book, as we learn in 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17. And the thing of it is, as you study God's Word with an open heart, with a prayerful heart, God Himself speaks to you through that Word. And as you share it in the power of His Spirit, it is powerful. And it, it penetrates the heart of man. And it enables conviction and conversion in the heart so i'm convinced not only that the gospel is the most just the, the relevant word it's also the only word that speaks to the profound needs of the human heart we're all created in the image of god and because of that we have this propensity for god we feel a vacancy in our hearts until god fills that vacancy and he does so and speaks to us through his word i love the word or, or excuse me i love the church also because of her worship i can't help myself most sundays when i'm here as the worship team is leading us up here, I become so emotional. I just start crying. It, it lifts me to the throne of God. It, uh, it blesses me to be in the midst of God's people, to feel their love, and to feel that I'm a part of them. God truly blesses my heart and my life through you and through the worship that takes place here. I remember several years back, I attended an evangelism conference in San Jose, and one of the speakers. Was a man, <clears throat> was a man named. Uh, I am really sorry, folks. I, I am having difficulty. My brain is just not functioning right. But Jess Moody, is a great preacher who, pastored a church down in the San Fernando Valley. In that sermon that he was preaching on Acts chapter 16, where it tells us how Paul and Silas, when they were at Philippi, healed this slave girl who was making money for her owners by fortune telling. And when they lost their income, the owners stirred up a riot and got Paul and Silas thrown into jail. And when they were in jail, you know how Paul preached Christ everywhere he went? When he was in jail, there's no doubt that he preached Christ to all those other prisoners. And according to what we read in Acts, there's a church, play, church service taking place. They prayed. They sang. And then an earthquake came, shook those doors of the jail open and the shackles off of their feet. Now, Jess said what really happened is that in uh, Isaiah 66, verse 1, it says that heaven is the Lord's throne and the earth is His footstool. What really happened is that when God was listening to that music, he started tapping his foot. <laughs> and it caused the whole earth to shake. I can't get the image out of my mind. I hope I hope those girls aren't offended. There are three girls back there that I love very much. And I hope they aren't offended by what I'm going to say. But when Amanda is in her cage up here, (laughs) and she's beating away on the drums, her hair is covering her eyes, she's singing away. (laughs) You know, I know that God's heart is pleased. He's looking down on her. He feels her love. He sees the joy that's in her face. And he feels the beat of that music and he starts tapping his foot. And the whole earth shakes. Well, in defense of Amanda, I want you to know she's not shaking the earth. It's God. But I do love our worship. I love the time that we have together. And uh, the church is a place where love dwells, where the Lord reigns, and where we have great times together. And I want to say that I love the church also because of the fellowship of love which Christ creates I have some scriptures I'm not sure that uh, you have them before you but there's 1st Timothy 3.15 I don't see it on my sheet in Acts 2.42, but it talks about the fellowship among the believers. And uh, they spent their time from house to house. Here we go. Can you put it up there again? But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know that those from whom you learned it—that's not the one. Okay. But what is the meaning of "koinonia"? It's a Greek word, which, if I remember correctly, came out of the uh, Greek army. As they were traveling and as they shared out of each other's pack, I know that when I was in the Army we distributed our rations so that some of them would be in one pack and some in another pack. But then when it came time for us to eat our lunch or whatever, we pooled what we had. And the church comes together to pool what they have in their resources so that all benefit from it. And uh, we enjoy great fellowship together. The word fellowship really means working together for the common cause that is serving Christ and making Him known to the world. Now, I also love the church because of the ministry she's capable of. You're familiar with our uh, food cupboard. You're familiar with the 11th commandment, of which I've been a beneficiary several times. You're familiar with the after-school program. But I want to share with you something today that you may not be aware of. And that is the possibility of uh, ministering through the Southern Baptist Cooperative Program. Now, this church is affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention. uh, And uh, the primary means we have for supporting institutions and missionary work is through this cooperative program. It's a system by which the money from, I don't know how many churches we have now, but back when I served, it was like 45,000 churches. Where the money was pooled from those churches, it went through a clearinghouse, you might call it, where it was distributed to support our seminaries, and our missions programs. I don't know if you're aware of it, but we have six seminaries scattered across the country. We have when I was serving with a mission board, we had like five thousand missionaries. These are career missionaries overseas. Now we a church. You know, a church by itself cannot get involved in missions around the world. They may support one or two or three here and there. But by this means of it being distributed this way, it can support thousands of missionaries. You become a part of something bigger. Well, I hope you realize what is possible and will become committed to that because it is a great opportunity to minister to people far and near. Uh, You have three, three pastors who are graduates of Golden Gate Baptist Seminary. Uh, our cooperative program Monday, given from the churches, you know, built those campuses. They employ the faculty and staff. They maintain the grounds. And even though the students may have to pay some fees, they pay the tuition. Now my tuition for college, because I went to a Baptist school in Texas, was paid by the Texas Baptist Convention, churches in Texas. I went to Golden Gate Seminary, and my tuition there was paid by the churches. you might wonder at this point, do I have any education at all? But, <laughs> but I actually was asked by my Old Testament professor, when I graduated with the MDiv, he asked me to become his fellow. And I graded papers for two professors, and I taught certificate students with his fellowship. And then when I was pastor at Emanuel, I had the opportunity to get a Doctor of Ministry degree. And again, the church is paid the tuition for that. Now, on, You can rightly ask, if if we spend all that money for your getting a seminary education, how come you don't know anything? <laughs> But my answer to that is, there was a time when I did know a lot of stuff, <laughs> but I've, I've gotten, forgotten most of it. And not only that, uh, uh, it's just hard for me to function at all anymore. Uh, you know, getting old really is not a bowl of cherries. <laughs> it is hard. But uh, when I was pastor at Emanuel, each year we had increased our giving through the cooperative program about a quarter percent. And at one point, I know we were giving 13% to the cooperative program. We gave 5% to the association for planting churches in East Contra Costa County. So we could spread our influence out there much farther. And I hope you consider that for the future. I love the church also because of the significance that she gives to the lives of those involved this is where you count so much in my life. You give me significance. And there are a lot of hurting people out there in the world. There are a lot of lonely people. And you are doing this through such ministries as the pantry, food pantry. You are doing it in different ways of reaching out to other people But you know, the church is made up of people who have experienced the love of God, and that love prompts them to share it with others. I read of this doctor who had seen a little dog get hit by a car. And he took the dog home with him and he nursed that dog. First of all, he set the broken leg and nursed that dog back to health. Then one day, he was disappointed when the dog took off and was missing. But a couple of days later, there was a scratching at his door. And when he opened the door, there was his little dog with another little dog that also needed help. It had been injured. That's what we're to be about in our Christian lives. We're the beggars telling beggars where to find bread. We're the healer, healed telling others where they can find healing. And God help us to do a good job of it. Thank you very much.